Jonathan, it's over to you. Our first reading is from Isaiah uh, chapter 43. We've got three short readings. The first one's Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. Now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Next reading is Isaiah chapter 44, verses 22 to 24. I have swept away your transgressions like a cloud, and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Rejoice, heavens, for the Lord has acted. Shout, depths of the earth. Break out into singing mountains, forests, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorifies himself through Israel. This is what the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, says. I am the Lord who made everything, who stretched out the heavens by myself, who alone spread out the earth. And our last reading is uh, 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 25. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the Father's, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. By obedience to the truth, Having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower drops off, but the word of the Lord endures for ever. And this is a word that was preached as the gospel to you. Now it's nearly 30 years ago, on the evening of the 5th of April, 1981, that my brother and I uh, walked from our home round the corner to church. Now we were, there was access to the church through my dad's study, but we didn't, weren't allowed to go that way. We had to go out the front door, round the corner, and into the front door of the church. Now, my mum stayed at home with my two younger sisters, and uh, my brother and I sat in our usual place, on the left-hand side of the church building, about halfway down, and I can't recall much about the service, and it was only later that I discovered that my dad had been preaching from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 8 to 10, and it says this, A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So that was the 5th of April 1981. I can't remember the message, but I do know I was converted 
that night. I found out that later, when I rifled through my dad's uh, filing cabinet, that was the message he spoke on that night. So our, our message this morning, our title this morning is Redeemed by Christ. And actually 20% of the verses in the Bible that refer to redeemed or redeemer are actually found in the book of Isaiah. And I was converted through Isaiah 35. And that's why they form part of our Bible reading, Isaiah 43 verse 1 and Isaiah 44 verses 22 to 24. And we can't possibly cover the whole subject of redemption this morning. So my aim, and our aim, is this. To cover enough to explain, excite, encourage, and exhort. And I trust that um, as we pray in a minute or two, that our hearts will be moved and our lives will be challenged. So before we look at it in detail, let's uh, pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we uh, have been given this subject, redeemed by Christ, and we do ask that as we look at your word, you would thrill us again with who Christ is and what he came to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, listed among the seven new wonders of the world is a statue that is 40 metres high and 30 metres wide. And it's not the Angel of the North. That didn't quite make the the new seven wonders of the world. It's actually located at the top of a 700 metre mountain called the Corcovado Mountain in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And I don't know if you can picture it, but it's called Christ the Redeemer. And this huge statue is of um, a statue of Christ with his open arms and it overlooks the whole city. And we're looking at this subject of redemption or redeemed by Christ. And we should look at the su- subject redemption under four headings. And the first is this. The first point is the picture of redemption. Now as you read the Bible, there are different aspects of salvation. So, for example, justification focuses on us being declared not guilty. Propitiation teaches us that God's wrath has been satisfied. Reconciliation is all about two opposing parties uh, living in harmony again. But the big idea that the Bible teaches us about redemption, the picture it paints about redemption, is one of deliverance. And that at a cost. It's release from captivity by the payment of a ransom price. And the two, it's like the two Greek words used in the New Testament, the two core Greek words in the New Testament have this idea of buying out and release on the receipt of a ransom. And the setting is essentially the slave market where the redemption or the ransom of slaves occurs. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe on the beach this year you heard the story, and I certainly told it, and I know Steve Wright told it as well, of the boy who makes a boat or a plane. He loses it, sees it in the shop, buys it back, and exclaims, this is twice mine. All right, I made it, and I bought it back. If you don't know the story, it is on the UBM website. All right, Paul Hint is written on the web- website. And that is redemption. It's the Lord Jesus Christ has brought us back and has delivered us from our sins by the shedding of his precious blood. 
This is redemption. It's not something that we attempt. It is something that Christ has accomplished. Redemption is deliverance from sin, from its penalty, from its power, and from its presence, by the blood of Christ. And redemption consists of four elements. If not, there's repression, we're in bondage, there's a redeemer, there's a ransom, and there's a release. Those four constituent parts make up redemption if like as a whole. Repression, a redeemer, ransom, and release. And as you read the Old Testament, there are several examples of redemption in the Old Testament that typify our redemption in Jesus Christ. And I only mention four very briefly. And each of them brings out this great truth that Christ is in all the scriptures. And as we read the redemption stories of the Old Testament, they paint a picture of who Christ is and what he came to do. So the first example is this. In the Old Testament, it was continually stressed that the Israelites, stressed to the Israelites, that they belonged to God because he had redeemed them by his powerful hand and had provided them with the land of Canaan to, for them to use as a gift. And for this reason, all Israel owed their lives and their service to God. So, for example, God's command to Moses in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, is this. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of, of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. That's Exodus 6, verse 6. And Micah chapter 6, verse 4 reinforces that, reiterates that when it says in Micah 6, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. So that's the first example in the Old Testament. Then, there's the whole picture, the illustration of what's called the redemption, or ransom, or atonement money. And each individual Israelite had to present himself to the priest, bringing with him his own piece of money as a ransom. And when the Israelite did that, their names were then written and recorded in a book. And that money was then used for the service of the Lord in the building of the tabernacle. Again, I can't go into detail. The references, Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 to 16, and Exodus 38. But the idea that an individual Israelite brought a bit of silver as a redemption money, ransom money, and when they did that, their name was then written and recorded in a book, and they were counted as part of God's family. And then another example is the redemption of the firstborn or the first fruits. For example, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 13, the firstborn of a donkey, which was an unclean animal, was redeemed by sacrificing a sheep in its place. And if it wasn't redeemed in that manner, then it itself was put to death. Now I can remember years ago, and some of us can remember this being one of Lance's stories. The first thing of an ass, thou shalt redeem with a lamb. That's what you should tell. And you should tell the story, making deliberate mistakes, and you turn out to spot those mistakes. But the whole picture, this firstborn, the first fruits, were redeemed uh, to God. And maybe the final illustration in the Old Testament is one of the most well-known types of redemption, and that is the kinsman redeemer. 
The instructions are given in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verses 24 to 33, and 48 to 54, and demonstrated in the story of Ruth. It's all about the near relative buying another Israelite who, by reason of great poverty, had sold himself or herself or their property, and uh, the redeemer had to be a near kinsman, had to be able to redeem, had to be willing to redeem, and free from the cause which uh, led to the original bondage. And the Lord Jesus Christ is wonderfully typified as our kinsman redeemer in the story of Boaz and Ruth. So Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ. And so as we read the whole of the Old Testament, what we see is God is painting a picture of redemption. And God's redemptive plan is the whole theme of the Bible. That's why I say we can't really cover the whole subject this morning, because it's God's plan. God's creative and redemptive plan is from page one of the Old Testament. So maybe, as we think about that, as we read the Old Testament particularly, we should be excited that as we read that, there is Christ, typified in the redemption money, in the kinsman redeemer, the, the redemption of the firstborn, and all these examples, that is Christ coming through. And the Bible is a wonderful book, and Christ is in all the scriptures. The second point, having looked at the, the picture of redemption, is the price of redemption. Now, I do have to be rather careful. I am not a dog lover. So it could be a dangerous thing what I'm going to say, but I probably won't comment on the story too much. But in 2007 in Bristol, Buddy, a lurcher, I think that is a type of dog, was taken from outside a co-op supermarket in Saltford, which is just outside Bristol. His owners, David and Marith Cormack, received a ransom demand from the dog napper. And they agreed, it's a true story, it's on the BBC website, must be. And they agreed to meet him in a car park to buy Buddy back. And they went seven weeks um, away from their dog. And the couple paid £750 ransom money to get their stolen pet back. And they said this, that they did not think twice about paying the ransom. And Mrs. Cornock said the handover was a frightening experience. Would you pay that kind of money to get your dog back? Now, you know what my answer is. (laughs) But would you? What about if it was a child who was kidnapped? Would you pay then? What about if it was a family member? Would you try and scrape every penny together to pay a ransom price if it meant the return of a family member? Frank Sinatra Jr., the son of the Frank Sinatra, was kidnapped and released after a ransom was paid. Eric Peugeot, the son of Raymond Peugeot, the car uh, industry chap, millionaire, was kidnapped at the age of four in 1960 in Paris. He was returned after the payment of a ransom. John Paul Getty III was kidnapped in Italy in 1973. His grandfather was then the world's richest man. 
is an American multi-billionaire oil tycoon. His name is Jay Paul Getty. He refused to pay the $3 million ransom until one of the boy's ears was cut off and sent to a reporter. And then he paid $3 million. Would you pay a ransom price if it's a member of your family? But what would you do if you couldn't afford the ransom price? It's a desperate situation, isn't it? This is a verse in the Bible, Psalm 49, verses 7 and 8. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That's saying we cannot ransom our, we cannot pay the ransom price ourselves. It's too costly. We cannot do it. But we know that the price for our redemption was Christ himself. Titus 2 verse 14, who gave himself to redeem us. And Christ is not only the redeemer, he's actually the ransom as well. And as we look at some of the key verses about redemption, they show us that Christ gave his life, he was put to death, he shed his blood, all those synonymous terms about the price for our redemption. So here's a few verses. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Revelation 5.9 By your blood, you ransomed a people. 1 Peter 1, we read this one, verses 18 and 19. You were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold. Then it goes on to say, but with the precious blood of Christ. Acts 20, verse 28 the church of God which he purchased with the blood of his own son. Hebrews 9 verse 15 says, A death has occurred which redeems us. Mark 10 verse 45, The Son of Man came, and it goes on to say, To give his life a ransom for many. Now you know this, I know this, but isn't it wonderful that Christ has paid the price. He has become the ransom for us. Lucy Bennett wrote a hymn. We still sing it. It's a good hymn. It says this, Oh, teach me what it meaneth, that cross uplifted high, with one the man of sorrows, condemned to bleed and die. Oh, teach me what it cost thee to make a sinner whole, and teach me, Saviour, teach me the value of a soul. You know this, I know this, but are we thrilled with what Christ has done? He has paid the price. We could not afford the ransom price. Now, I couldn't afford £750 for a dog, but I certainly can't afford the ransom price for my soul. But Christ has paid the price. So the price of redemption. And we need to be thrilled with what Christ has done, who he is, and what he has done. And that, that hymn, Teach me what it means. It should be our prayer. Teach me what it costs thee to make a sinner whole. The third point on the redeemed by Christ is this. The privileges of redemption. Now when the Israelites were redeemed from Egypt, the most obvious benefit to them was their freedom. And yet there was so much more. And often they failed to see that. They, they, they moaned, they grumbled, they complained. They yearned for the things of the past. And maybe we're like that sometimes. 
But we do know this, that the Son has set us free. And if that has been the case, we are free indeed. And yet, we seem to miss the benefits. The benefits package is amazing. Even this week, I think it was on Thursday, a 62-year-old man from Londonderry has pleaded guilty to benefit fraud, totaling more than £19,000. And William Brady admitted falsely obtaining income support and housing benefits between uh, November 2002 and April 2005. So he was overclaiming. Yet it seems to me as Christians, we are underclaiming. We don't seem to enjoy the benefits that are due us. We are not guilty of overclaiming the benefits, but underclaiming them. Let me tell you, it's quite a sobering story, but I think in the last week it's brought this home to me, that actually, as Christians, we have so much that the world does not have. It's been quite a sombre week at work this week, because just over a week ago, um, Thursday afternoon, 1.30, I work in a building of about 3,000 people. It's a big building, and there's uh, three floors, and the centre part of it has, um, goes from the floor right to the ceiling. At 1.30, um, I, we, uh, a few of us were in this open area, heard a scream. I looked around and saw a man land on the floor. He had thrown himself over the balcony on the top floor. Instant death. In a workplace, 20 feet away from where I was. For the whole of this next week, you realise that people like Christ don't have any hope or benefits. My boss, who was um, with me at the time, ran across and tried to give um, first aid. The next day, she went to the counsellor, and I chatted to her afterwards and said, how did you get on? Did it make any difference? All right, that's happened at work. And throughout the whole of this, this week, people have been talking about this event. And they don't know what to do. They don't know how to cope with it. But we as Christians, if we've been redeemed by Christ, have so many privileges. Let me just list a few. The first is this. We've talked about it a little bit. Freedom. If you read Romans chapter 6, the whole point of uh, Romans 6 is about liberty in Christ. Freedom. It says this. Having been set free from sin. Romans 6.18 and similarly uh, verse 22, you've been set free from sin. Just whiz through some of these. One benefit is freedom. Secondly, there's forgiveness. Colossians 1 verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1 7, same verse. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Another benefit, adoption. Galatians 4, verse 5. To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. A benefit of redemption is that I belong to God's family. Uh, Next one, atonement. And Romans 3, verse 24 and 25 have the great words propitiation, justification and redemption. We are justified by his grace through redemption. So, being justified, being at one with Christ and with God, um, comes from redemption. Another benefit is assurance. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. The fact that he knew that Christ was was going to die and rise again gave him assurance. I know my Redeemer lives. And then another benefit, assistance. 
Isaiah 41, verse 14. Fear not, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer. Isaiah 43, verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. So assistance, help, comes because we are redeemed. Then the final point this morning is this. The purpose of redemption. So we've looked at the picture of redemption, the whole theme of the Bible, God's redemptive plans from page one right through to the end. We've looked at the price of redemption. Christ has paid the price. He is the price. We've looked at the privileges of redemption. Being redeemed means I'm accepted, I belong to God's family and I enjoy all the benefits of being his child. But the purpose of redemption... I think to me the key verse that sums up the application of redemption is this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I am not the boss of my own life. Christ is. And being redeemed means that we have been bought by Christ and therefore owned by him. And if he owns us, we then submit to him. I don't know if you notice in that Isaiah 43 passage uh, that was read. Isaiah 43 verse 1. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. That's what God says. And uh, another verse that sums up the whole uh, privileges and responsibilities of redemption is the Romans 6 passage. Romans 6 verse 22 But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. So four, if like, outworkings of redemption, very briefly, because some of these will be covered in future sessions. But the first thing is this. The purpose of redemption is for the glory of God. The grand theme of the Bible is the glory of God in the creation and redemption of his kingdom through Jesus Christ. Now we sing sometimes, don't we? To God be the glory, great things he has done. It goes on to say, O perfect redemption. And then the verse that the course says, Praise the Lord. Alright? The Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself. And that's Isaiah 44. We read that one. Now, some of you might know I've handed my notice at work. I've got three more weeks to go. And one of the things I've got to do is um, write some, sounds really exciting, but write some business requirements for a system, IT system, called Copernicus. All right, that was the name of the system. I've checked my scientific facts with the, the professor down here. And it's not a scientific point I want to make. But Copernicus, Nicholas Copernicus, lived from 1473 to 1543. He is best known for formulating the theory of heliocentric cosmology. Is that correct? That's saying the sun is the centre of the solar system. Alright, that's what it's saying. Because at the time people believed that the earth was the centre and everything revolved around the earth. But actually Copernicus said, no, actually the sun is the centre. And up to that time it was commonly believed that the earth was the centre of the universe. And every calculation you made would be wrong if you took that thing, but Andy disputes that fact, actually. But the point is this. Everyone was making the wrong assumption, putting the wrong thing at the centre. And sometimes we make us the centre, and not God the centre. 
But redemption teaches us this. Christ is the centre. And redemption is the central, it's in fact, central to the heart of God himself. That is God's great plan, redemption. And with Christ being the Redeemer, he is the centre. So God's eternal plan has Christ at the centre. And therefore, as the redeemed of the Lord, we should want to be glorifying God by putting Christ at the centre. You are not your own. You are being, have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Revelation 5 verse 9. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you redeemed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. So redemption is the centre of heaven. Christ is the centre of heaven. The redeemed sing praises to him. So the first outworking is to the glory of God. Secondly, the purpose of redemption is for the gospel of Christ. 1 Timothy 2 verse 6 says this, talking about Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Hendrickson says this, Christ's death as a ransom to satisfy God's justice must be proclaimed. I think Gerard is doing the sent by Christ later tonight, I think it is. But that, that verse, 1 Timothy 2, 6, says this, that God's intention is that when the proper time or appropriate season or opportunities arise, we need to take God's message of redemption. It must be preached. And Paul goes on to say in 1 Timothy 2, verse 7, that he was appointed a preacher. So Paul says, look, Christ gave himself a ransom so that we can uh, have this testimony at the right time. And for this reason, I have been point, appointed a preacher. He wants to tell other people. We don't sing this to him so often these days, written by Fanny Crosby. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. But redeemed, oh how I love to proclaim it. So if you are redeemed, the outworking of that is, you should be telling people. Third outworking, I said for the growth in us. Again, going back to that 1 Corinthians passage where it says we've been bought with a price, you're not your own, therefore glorify God in your body. Before that, immediately before that verse, it talks about fleeing sexual immorality. And so purity is an outworking of being redeemed by Christ. Last uh, year at the reunion we did Titus 2, and Titus 2 verse 14 says he gave himself to redeem uh, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 talks about being redeemed from if like the old way of life, an aimless conduct, the vain things of a previous life. Now we're no longer slaves to sin. sin. We are slaves now to righteousness. And our lives should reflect the fact that we are redeemed from the old way of life. Sanctification and redemption do go hand in hand. One follows the other. The two are linked. And if you read Revelation 14, verse 4, it again talks about sanctification and purity with the subject of redemption. And lastly, a final outworking of redemption is for the good of others. 
And the whole example of Christ is service. For even the Son of Man came not to be, um, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's talking about Christ being the Redeemer. Talking about service, him serving. And the Israelite, in the story of the Old Testament, the Israelite who paid his redemption money was then numbered as a soldier. So he paid his redemption money, his name was written in the book, that money went to build the tabernacle, but it also entitled that Israelite to become a soldier in the army. And they placed a sign for him on the battlefield. And the purpose of redemption is service. Working with others, working for others. The Titus verse talks about redemption and it says zealous for good works. So redeemed by Christ. I've tried to explain what it means. Being brought back, we now belong to God. I've tried to excite us with who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do. I've tried to encourage us in terms of the privileges that we have as a Christian of being redeemed by Christ. I try to exhort us in living a life of redeemed people. Now, when I was a teenager, someone asked me, I think, Roger asked me a little while ago, how old are you now? Well, I'll tell you now, it's 43, right? But when I was a teenager, um, we used to sing a chorus based on Isaiah 51, verse 11. And the similar verse is in the passage I quoted from Isaiah 35, the passage I was converted from. It said this, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. I'm always tempted to burst into song, but don't worry, I won't. The redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Isaiah 44, the command, Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth, break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. Why? For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. And I think one overarching application of uh, redemption through Christ is that we rejoice in it and praise him for it. John Newton, the hymn writer and preacher, never ceased to marvel at God's mercy and grace that had been granted to him. On one occasion he said this, my my memory's nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. And over the mantelpiece in uh, the Olney Vicarage, he placed an inscription, some of you might know it, it's Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 15. So this was John Newton's constant reminder in his um, lounge, like, Deuteronomy 15, verse 15. Thou shalt remember that thou wast a a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. That's what John Newton had before him at all times in his vicarage. Remember, you were a slave, but the Lord has redeemed thee. So redeemed by Christ. The picture of redemption, the price of redemption, the privileges of redemption, and the purpose of redemption.